0: Churches is good to be with worshiping with you this morning. If you're a guest here this morning, I hope that you've been warmly greeted and you feel the hospitality of Christ in this place. Thank for all the gifts of those who have led us in worship and brought us to this point in the service. We are continuing today a sermon series entitled Epiphanies, where we're looking at scripture passages where people experience a spiritual insight where something that was unknown or hidden is revealed by God. And today we'll be looking at a passage from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. By way of background, Ephesians is one of the four so-called prison epistles that was written while Paul was a prisoner in Rome for preaching the gospel and proclaiming Christ. And in our text for today, Paul is talking about the mystery of God's plan for the world that has been revealed in Christ. So hear now this reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I wrote above in a few words a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. And although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ, and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the wisdom of God and its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access in boldness and confidence through faith in him i pray therefore that you may not lose heart over my sufferings for you they are your glory there's so much good in there but before we dig into those things let's let's pray lord you alone are the word And you alone have the words of eternal life. Speak, Lord. Speak to us as we are gathered here today. And speak through us as we're scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Mystery. Mystery. That's the drumbeat of this passage. And as we engage with it, let's talk both about the concept of mystery and the specific content of the mystery that Paul is talking about. Now, when modern people hear the word mystery, we're inclined to think of an Agatha Christie novel about Inspector Perot, or a BBC series like Sherlock, or a whodunit movie like Knives Out. Some of y'all may remember the mystery thriller The Sixth Sense from a number of years ago. It's a movie starring Bruce Willis where one of the main characters is a kid who famously says in the movie, I see dead people. Remember that movie? That was awesome, that was awesome. my wife and I went to see that in theaters and there's a plot twist at the end of that movie that is so startling that the entire audience <clears throat> gasped out loud. Now my personal claim to fame is that I figured out that movie 15 minutes in. And I turned to my wife, True, and I leaned over to her and said, and I said, this is what's gonna happen. And she's like, no it's not, shh. And she shushed me. But at the end, Turned out I was right, I figured out the mystery. And that's really how we like to engage mystery. Treating it as a complex plot to be unraveled by our reason or a confounding crime to be solved by our logic or a hidden secret laid bare by our scientific methods. But that's not the kind of mystery that Paul is talking about in this passage. Paul uses the Greek word musterion which means something beyond natural knowledge, something that is brought to light not by human reason but by divine revelation. Now of all the major actors in the New Testament, Paul is the ideal person to engage in a discussion of mystery because his very existence as an apostle of Jesus Christ is itself a mystery. As a zealous Jew known as Saul, Paul first appears on the pages of Scripture as the one who stood by approvingly as his fellow Jews stoned to death a man named Stephen, who was an early follower of Jesus, making Stephen the first Christian martyr. And after this event, Paul sets off on a bloody and violent rampage against the newly born church of Christ. And as scripture describes, he was entering house after house, dragging off both men and women and throwing them in prison. But as we see in the text for today, by a mysterious turn of events, now Paul is in prison. And he's describing himself as a prisoner for Christ. Paul was an admitted blasphemer of Christ who mysteriously became a preacher of Christ. Paul was a persecutor of the church who mysteriously became a champion of the church. Paul calls himself chief among sinners, the very least of all the saints, and unworthy to be called an apostle, yet mysteriously... Paul becomes one of the most influential and powerful followers of Jesus that the world has ever known. And it's important for us to recognize the implications of Saul the persecutor becoming Paul the Apostle. Because for every person who thinks that they're too far gone for God, that they've made too many bad decisions, that they've hurt too many people, that they've thumbed their nose at God too many times, Paul is a living testimony that the grace of God in the person of Christ can bring any prodigal home. And for every person who thinks that their child or their friend or their family member or their coworker, or their neighbor has erected an impenetrable wall of unbelief or constructed an impassable moat of hostility against Christ, fear not. The God who toppled the walls of Jericho, who split the Red Sea and parted the Jordan River, the God who makes a way where there is no way, came to Paul in the person of Christ and rescued him and saved him and sent him, sent him to be a missionary and a witness to the gospel of Jesus. Paul is living proof that nothing Nothing, no thing is impossible for God. Paul, the apostle, is a mystery. Indeed, nearly everything we affirm as central to the Christian faith is somewhere in Scripture referred to as a mystery. For example, there's the mystery of God, the mystery of God's will, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel, The mystery of marriage, which is applied to Christ and the church. The mystery of Christ in you. The hope of glory. The mystery of the faith. And that's just to name a few. These mysteries, they're not problems to be solved. They're revelations to be received. And yet so often we treat our faith journey like a mystery novel. Reading the Bible to see if we can figure out some formula for faith, or tweaking our theology so that we can find a system that gives us absolute certainty. And this is part of our struggle as modern people. We often have trouble trusting anything that we cannot define, that we cannot manage, and that we cannot master, that we cannot control. And rather than embracing mystery, we prefer to carve out a superficial place of intellectual certitude where we can say, I, I've got it, finally, I've got it figured out. So we can arrest the unceasing gospel call to change and avoid the unpredictable gospel process of growth. But the mystery of God's grace and our faith defies all attempts At control. So no matter how often you might have heard in the church someone say, I found Christ, the reality is just the opposite. Christ was never lost and we didn't find him, but we were and he did. And even in our lostness God draws us by his Spirit calling us home to Christ. And the problem of our sin, that's not solved by our best thinking or our best efforts. It is mysteriously solved by Christ's death on the cross. And faith, that's not something we're ever going to figure out. It's a mysterious gift of God. And we love God only because mysteriously and amazingly, God first loved us. Paul talks about his understanding of the mystery of Christ. And these things can only be understood when we stand under them, they can only be grasped from within. It's like the mystery of marriage where two people become one flesh. On the day of your wedding, you walked into the church, a single person, and you walked out of the church, a married person. The two became one. The moment you said, I do, and there's only one way to begin to grasp the mystery of marriage, and that's by being married. And so it is with Christ. When it comes to the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of grace, and the mystery of our faith. We rarely have absolute clarity as to why, or how, or when. Epiphanies cannot be managed or manufactured. They cannot be controlled or orchestrated. They are wrought by God and received by faith. Author and pastor and storyteller Frederick Beekner puts it so well when he says, You don't solve the mystery. You live the mystery. And so, okay, what is the mystery that Paul is inviting us to live into? What is the specific content of the mystery that he is proclaiming in this text? Simply put, Paul was calling the followers of Jesus to live into the mystery of the church, the reconciled and reconciling body of Christ. The church is the visible and tangible part of God's cosmic plan, too, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 1, to gather up all things in Christ. And as Paul explains in the text, the mystery of God's plan for the church is that Gentiles and Jews are now equal partners in the promises of the Jewish Messiah. Through Christ, God broke down the dividing wall of hostility. Reconciling both Jews and Gentiles to God and to one another, forming them into one new humanity, the church. Now, as modern people, again, it is almost impossible for us to grasp how shocking this epiphany is. Jews and Gentiles brought together in Christ. Estranged tribes now merged into one family. Modern metaphors just struggle to grasp the immensity of this reconciliation project. This is like Duke fans and Carolina fans rooting for the same team. This is like Clemson and Tennessee agreeing on the same shade of orange. This is like pineapple people and meat lovers people sitting down at the table of fellowship and enjoying the same pie. This is like rich and poor gathering together, sharing resources and experiences and stories as equal. This is about Arab and and Israeli living peacefully together as neighbors, loving neighbors in Christ. And if we look at the news, that sounds impossible, but we hear that and we think, that would be awesome that would be incredible and then you walk into a real church and when we do that and we look around well don't look around now because then everybody's going to watch you do it but go ahead and look around because we see it we all see it right the mysterious motliness of those who are gathered in christ's name because we're all here the holy and the hypocritical The saint and the sinner, the selfish and the selfless, the judgmental and the just, those longing to serve and those demanding to be served, every one of us in the church at some point or another has played into every one of these types. And as a result, sooner or later, all of us will likely ask, is this it? Is this the church that Paul was talking about? Is this the church he says that through it the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? Really? This? Is there a plan B? Just know you're not the first person to think that or even say that. Over the centuries many inside and outside the church have observed that the consistent problem with Christianity is what? Christians. The most segregated hour in American life continues to be the church hour on Sunday morning. And it's sadly true that very often the church, it looks more like Saul than it does like Paul. And yet the fact remains The church is the mysterious plan of God, built on the foundation of Christ, and it is the dwelling place of the Spirit. And no matter how bad things might appear, God's plan is bearing fruit. In his commentary on Ephesians, Bible scholar Kent Hughes describes something that happened in Belgium. Johan Lucasse, who was a missionary in in Belgium, was inspired by the scriptural accounts of the early church. And so he decided to do something radical to reveal Christ in Belgium. He invited and gathered together a multicultural group of believers, Dutch and Swiss and German and American, whoever would do it. And he rented them a house and had them live together in a city for six months And as you might expect, frictions developed and relationships frayed. But rather than bailing, rather than caving, and rather than turning on one another, they turned to prayer, they turned toward each other, and they turned to Christ. And over the course of months of worship and prayer and study, of eating together and talking together and sharing together and serving together, they were mysteriously changed. They began to see amazing fruit in their hearts, in their house, in their lives, and in their ministries. And if you can believe it, the other people in that city started to call the, the people who love each other. That house was living into the mystery of the church even as it was living out the calling of Christ. And this is a beautiful picture of what the church can be and more often than we might think what the church actually is. Because the church is God's plan to change the world. There is no plan B. The church is God's hospital where the wounded become healers. The church is God's workshop where Saul's become Paul's. The church is God's laboratory for epiphanies where Christ is revealed in the neighborhood. As British missiologist Leslie Newbigin famously said, the church lives in the midst of history as a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of the kingdom of God. And mysteriously enough, we're getting to see some of these things happen. Right here at Second Baptist, in our very own version of the motley and mundane church. We see this at ESL meetings on Monday nights where people who don't speak the same language come to teach each other and learn from each other. We see this in the way that our Arabic language ministry and our Portuguese language ministry and our English language ministry are increasingly partnering in the gospel working and serving together. And we see this in the way that our largely white West End congregation is coming together to serve the predominantly black East End of Richmond, joining with other churches to provide just and affordable rental housing for the people who need it most. Our church mysteriously is becoming the church. And so is church a mixed bag? Is our church a mixed bag full of sinners and saints? Absolutely. It's as muddled and mixed as every single one of us. But we mysteriously are God's plan. We are Christ's body. We are the dwelling place of the Spirit. And so we have to ask, why? Why would God, in all of his supposed wisdom, use people as broken and brittle and unreliable as us to carry the precious gospel of Christ? Why? Actually, this is a mystery that has been revealed. It was revealed to Paul, and I'll paraphrase what he said in another letter. But we have this treasure of Christ in the clay jar of the church so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power, it belongs to God and it does not come from us. The extraordinary power of Christ is at work in the church. The motley gathering of Saul's is being transformed into the passionate congregation of Paul's how can that possibly be and when will that happen and when will it happen to me it's a mystery and you don't solve this mystery you live this mystery as the church amen church